Welcome to WFUV's What's What. It's Tuesday, August 9th. What's What is a daily podcast that explores current events, culture, news, and hot topic issues in the New York metropolitan area. That includes features and interviews exclusively from WFUV. I'm David Escobar. And I'm Nicoletta Papavasilakis. Here's What's What around the tri-state area. We're actually coming to you with some major news out of New Jersey. A water main break this morning has sent Newark into a state of emergency. It happened on a central line by the city's Newark-Belleville border, and there's been some fallout from the break. Yeah, David, Newark's summer programs are temporarily canceled and city officials issued a boil water advisory. That means that residents should drink bottled water for the time being. But any tap water should be boiled in case of possible contamination. New Jersey residents are reporting that they have low water pressure, that their water is brown, or that they have no water at all. And the break couldn't have come at a worse time with high heat and humidity around the state. Crews are working on repairs, but there's still no word on when they'll be done. But for now, Newark City officials are seeking help from other towns for water. Back across the Hudson, there's some exciting news for one New York City bar. This year's Spirited Awards honored Katana Kitten as the best cocktail bar in the U.S. It's a retro Japanese bar in Greenwich Village. It also took home the Ceremonies Award for Best Bartending Team. The Spirited Awards are given out by the Tales of the Cocktails Foundation. It's the first time the ceremony has been in person since the pandemic. This year's theme for the awards was progress to honor the adaptive and creative minds that got the bartending community through the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, if you're a vinyl lover, you're in luck. The Brooklyn Public Library is opening up a vinyl lending collection for its members. That's right, Nicoletta. Now, cardholders have access to about 400 records at the Central Library. People are encouraged to listen to the records on site, but they can borrow a vinyl for up to three weeks. This is all a part of the Brooklyn Public Library's music education programs. That includes classes on things like DJing, audio production, and sampling. The library kicked off the opening today with performances from local artists, and there's going to be DJ sets going on all month to celebrate the new collection. In some sad news, 70s pop icon Olivia Newton-John passed away yesterday afternoon. The Australian actress was best known for her role as Sandy in the blockbuster movie Grease. The songs that Newton-John and her co-star John Travolta sang in Greece are still radio hits today. But after Greece, Newton-John also made a name for herself as a singer. She topped the Billboard charts with her 80s hit, Physical. The pop song held the number one spot for 10 weeks. Newton-John died after a long battle with breast cancer. She was 73. People are not strangers to films and books about the mob like The Godfather or Goodfellas. But these works often don't feature women. Camille Aubrey's The Godmothers follows four women from an influential mob family that take charge of the family business when their husbands no longer can. WFUV's Christina Lulich sat down with Aubrey to talk about the mob scene in the 1930s and why she chose these four women to be the central characters of her story. Why do you like to write historical fiction? I think because whenever I'm trying to figure things out with The Godmothers, Um, I was working in television in New York City, and there is a place called the Copacabana, um, where the TV people used to have their awards and special lunches. And I got to meet a lot of the older um, actors, writers, producers, and they said to me, do you know the history of the Copa? 
And I said, no, I really don't. They said, well, it was a very swanky nightclub and you never knew who you were going to run into. You might run into a politician, a movie star, a ball player, or you might meet a gangster. <laughs> and that was enough to spark my interest in, you know, we've seen um, gangster movies as, as people call them. And um, we've seen The Godfather, but the women were always on the periphery. And The Godmothers is set in the 1930s for a chunk of it in the World right. War II period. So why did you want to write about this specific time? Well, you know, this is when the uh, five families, as they were called, really held sway. Um, you know, they were still around later and before that, but this was really their, I hate to say golden age, but, but it was. So that was when they really had a great deal of power. Uh, and I figured that that would be the most dangerous time. How would you say that this period of gangsters and the five families is an important part of New York history. Because the five families were from New York, they were able to provide influence, um, particularly Frank Costello, I mentioned uh, in the book. He really wanted to um, assimilate. Um, you know, during the 30s and 40s and 50s, immigrants could not really assimilate and they were shut out of a lot of things. So they organized in this way. Most people from the mob that are notable today are men but you chose to follow along the story of Philomena, Lucy, right. Amy, and Petrina. Why did you right. make this decision? What sparked this interest? In the media, women are portrayed a certain way. You know, they're either very glamorous or very maternal, but they're not, you know, movers and shakers. And these women are sisters-in-law um, before they become godmothers to one another's children. And they are very different. Um, Lucy is a nurse. She came from Ireland. Petrina went to Barnard College and, you know, uh, wanted to study art. Um, Philomena was a war refugee from Italy and Amy was from France. So they're all as different as could be. But as sisters-in-law, they had to learn to work together to protect their family. Um, and their family, they were trying to protect from the gangsters. I think that's an important distinction to make for my novel and for other, you know, mob stories is that they really did not want to be engaged with these people in any way. And their whole purpose really was to try to free themselves from the grip of these guys. The godmothers end up running the family business. So I was wondering what message were you trying to convey with this part of the plot? Well, you know, um, especially in that time period, women were expected to depend completely on their husbands for financial support, for, you know, uh, everything for business. And uh, yet there was a world war. There were other reasons people, husbands get sick. You know, there are lots of reasons why a woman may have to take the reins and she should be ready for that. I really think that there's a lot more to women that hasn't really been discussed. And I think that's why, you know, I've been talking to book clubs and uh, the women tell me, boy, I really related to, and they'll tell me which godmother they, you know, identified with. That was WFUV's Christina Lulich talking with Camille Aubrey about her book, The Godmothers. And now we turn to the world of sports with WFUV's Will Grant. So, Will, we haven't seen a night like this in a while. Both New York teams secured a W. Baseball is back in full swing as both the Mets and Yankees pick up win number 71 on the season. The Mets hosted the Cincinnati Reds last night where Starling Marte got things going early in the first inning, hitting a two-run shot to deep center to give them a leg up throughout the battle. The rest of the game was smooth sailing as starting pitcher Chris Bassett earned his ninth win on the season, allowing no earned runs in their 5-1 victory. They are set for a rematch later this evening in Queens. Out in Seattle, the Yankees finally snapped a five-game skid after being swept by the Cardinals this past weekend. 
Judge raked in his 44th long ball on the season, keeping his title as the league leader, while James Tyon secured the mound going seven innings with six strikeouts. Though a much-needed win was delivered in order to restore confidence among Bomber fans, veteran Matt Carpenter suffered a broken foot in the third inning and is out indefinitely. Let's hope he can make a speedy recovery. Football returns this Thursday night as the Giants take on the Patriots out in Foxborough. And Friday evening, the Jets travel to Philly to take on the Eagles. That's great, Will. We're finally moving into a new season, and football's coming back. The U.S. Open's happening in Queens at the end of this month. I know there's a big story that rocked the tennis world this morning. Oh, you're right, David. The queen of tennis for the last two decades, a.k.a. Serena Williams, shared in a Vogue article published earlier today that she's decided to retire following the U.S. Open. Thanks for the update, Will. We'll be sure to watch as the U.S. Open gets underway. New Yorkers are always looking for ways to get outside during the summer months. That's right. What if there was a place with sprawling green space, multiple museums and galleries, a farm, and traditional Chinese and Tuscan gardens? all on one campus. WFUV's Madison Colombo has more on this oasis located right here in the city. Snug Harbor Cultural Center and Botanical Garden has long been a forgotten gem of Staten Island since it opened in 1976. It's made for providing people with new experiences. You can do everything from buying locally grown produce to taking an art class or even being transported to China through their traditional scholar garden. I spoke with director and CEO of Snug Harbor, Jessica Vador, to talk about the place where art, history, and nature converge. I know Snug Harbor has an interesting history. Can you tell me how it came to be? Originally, the campus has really an amazing history. It was one of America's first retirement homes for sailors. It was founded by, honestly, like a founding father of New York City. His name was Robert Randall, but he was a very wealthy shipping magnate who, you know, in the late 1700s died without an heir. And so he decided that he wanted to leave his entire fortune to care for the, you know, the entire population of retired sailors. So he got his friend Alexander Hamilton to help him write his will and uh, leave his very vast fortune to create a foundation that built these amazing buildings here in, in Staten Island. So how did Snug Harbor go from a retirement home for sailors to the cultural center it is today? There was a, a group of really amazing, activated local uh, citizens in Staten Island who came together and um, really advocated to save Snug Harbor. They they made a, a pitch to really protect these buildings and not knock them down. And at the same time that the New York City Landmarks Commission was forming, these buildings became some of the very first landmarks of New York City. So it was a, a really amazing story of community activism that said, no, this place is too special. Uh, it needs to be around for generations to come. Through that, the idea of creating it a cultural center that would, you know, make this campus a vibrant resource for all of New York City, it really kicked off. Snug Harbor features multiple galleries, museums, studios, and even has historic cottages for artist residencies. Why do you put such an emphasis on creativity? Um, so it's really about being a home, uh, a refuge for artists to take, uh, you know, have a place to be safe, to experiment, to take risks, and then a place for the community to come and engage with that. Like your art offerings, you also have many natural aspects like your farm, 14 botanical gardens and green space. 
But how else do you contribute ecologically? Along with our beautiful gardens, we also have actually a very um, you know, large area of our campus, which is state-mapped wetlands. And we're located in a district that really has some of the highest pollution levels of our city. The neighborhoods all around us are identified as environmental justice areas. And that means that, you know, it is really critical for spaces like this to exist, to serve our community. So they have places to go to, you know, to breathe, to to walk, to be able to appreciate nature. Finally, why do you think Snug Harbor is special? I think there's nothing like this in New York City. It is truly unique. So many people that I've seen who have come to Snug Harbor, the first thing out of their mouth is, I can't believe this is here and I never knew it. And it's really a place where, you know, it's unexpected in its in its vastness and how many different things are here so accessible and how beautiful and how much of an oasis it is for people. So it's a, a place to get away from the city right in the city. You can learn more about Snug Harbor at our website, wfuvnews.org. I'm Madison Colombo, WFUV News. That was stand-in Cityscape host Madison Colombo. Cityscape aims to capture the culture, feel, and energy of New York City. And that's our show for today. I'm David Escobar. And I'm Nicoletta Papafasilakis. Check back with us tomorrow at 3 o'clock for more news, music, culture, and sports. And tell your friends so they can find WFUV's What's What at WFUVnews.org and wherever you get your podcasts.